In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. We're recording the day after a violent reaction in Frazier to the fatal shooting of Brandon Weber by an officer with the U.S. Marshals Service. Rocks and bottles thrown, police in riot gear responding with tear gas to disperse the crowd. And much speculation as a hard rain fell on that chaotic scene about what this all means. The answer to that most certainly comes in the days and weeks ahead. Among the early reaction to evening of the violence, State Representative London Lamar on Facebook writing, quote, There are many people in Memphis hurting tonight. This is the first violent reaction to a law enforcement shooting in the last five years of Black Lives Matter and other protests and activism. There have been arrests in some of those protests and emotions have run high before, but nothing like what happened in Frazier. A federal task force was in Frazier to serve arrest warrants on a suspect, Brandon Weber. Their arrival in the city came the day after Shelby County District Attorney General Amy Wyrick announced her office would not file charges against a Memphis police officer in an unrelated 2018 fatal shooting on Summer Avenue of an unarmed suspect in a violent robbery. The violence in Frazier was also the day after Tennessee Governor Bill Lee made several stops in this same general area, promoting different second chance and summer youth programs in Frazier, as well as signing the bill eliminating the state fees for expungements of criminal records. As it did in the 2018 police shooting, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is investigating the shooting by the Marshal Service. The NAACP's national office tweeting overnight that it is monitoring the situation as well. Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland telling us Thursday morning the violence was, quote, unwarranted, but also saying, quoting again, the loss of one life is tragic, and I do grieve for the loss of this young man, and I grieve for his family. In our interview, Strickland saying there should be constant community discussions about the use of deadly force by law enforcement. We're joined now by Cardell Oren, Memphis Director of Stand for Children, whom we booked initially to talk about the push for city government funding of Shelby County Schools, and we will get to that shortly. Uh, Cardell, you've been one of many Memphians who have been a part of the last five years or so of conversation, protest, and at times debate about how Memphis police handle the kinds of situations like the one in Frazier. So let me start off by asking your general reaction to what has happened there. You know, I think that it's a reflection of, I mean, it's, we can't just take it as this one thing that happened. It's a reflection of going back all the way to, I mean, we could go back to Trayvon Martin if we think about it nationally, and then certainly to Darius Stewart when we come locally and Martavius Banks. So it's a line of things that have happened that involve police shooting, especially black men. And so if we see it out of that context and that lens, we're missing a whole part of the picture. And so I think that, you know, going into into last night and another shooting that had police involved shooting that happened and killing of a, of a young man, Brandon Weber, um, again, in the community response is not just about that moment, but about many moments. So can we should we separate the violence, the rocks and tear gas from the actual act, the, the, the actual death of Brandon Weber? Are they are they separate? 
I don't know. I don't think you can keep them because the the community response is a response to what happened. It wasn't community members just out throwing rocks and picking up whatever they could. They were hitting cars with chairs. So it was really about not coming out there intentionally, just saying, what do I have? How do I throw these things? The same way that we might say in the Gaza Strip, like people throwing rocks at tanks is a Mm -hmm. challenge. People are lashing out with with what they have and with the tools and resources they have. And as for a community that has, especially over the last few years, talked so much about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, being trauma-informed, not just as a school system, but as a county and our students and our families and our the people in our community, we have to see it through the lens of the traumas that our communities are experiencing, that our people are experiencing, and how they uh, they lash out at times because of that trauma and when it gets to be too much to bear. So I don't think that you can just take it in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You've got to see it a, a, as a holistic uh, uh, challenge. There were also other things going, going on in the crowd last night. There were, there were people in the crowd that were pushed back by police who, who mm-hmm. were community leaders seeking to calm down uh, the situation. So, so you, you had great frustration. You also had people trying to counsel other people at the same time, all in the middle of the street. Right. And I certainly saw I was watching several live feeds last night as people were out there um, documenting what was going on. And you saw the interactions that, you know, when we wake up today with the the stories that are going on, it makes it seem like, oh, the peace, the police were out there and just conducting themselves completely, you know, as they should be trying to de-escalate. And that's not necessarily what was happening when you see, you know, on uh, neighborhood streets, Police in riot gear with tanks out there, and you know we've seen you know their 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 trucks and the militarized vehicles, uh, and they're out there not just uh, uh, lining up in a line, chanting things like chanting "move," saying "get out of the way," pushing back on community members who are there who are expressing themselves. So that's not you know it's 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 all of these things combined, and the police could have readily de-escalated the situation, but that's not a place where we find ourselves in. And it's it's about the trust that we have. So who in our city, on our on our police force, are the people who can go out and help to de-escalate a situation and not, in the end, use tear gas? And uh, despite what the mayor says, that's not creating peace and leaving out saying, and we use tear gas. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons that tear gas didn't disperse even further is because rain started coming down. Right. But people left tears looking for milk trying to clear their eyes and 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 their systems so what what's the way forward you know i I think the way forward is i think the the challenge of the way forward is that uh our response from our current mayor uh who's over the police department um has not been a positive response in my uh frame of reference in terms of of one, just saying the young man's name and being clear about transparency and accountability uh, for for the shooting of this young man, even though, you know, understanding that it involved the U.S. Marshals. But the rest of, of his statement, especially today when he went on again, was about um, uh, the police and how they acted well and, and you know, and created peace. And then the, the final part is we're going to go out and look for the community members who caused this disturbance and we're going to arrest them and charge them. And that's not the way that we recognize how a community comes together. I think you have to recognize these challenges, these issues, and especially not, I mean, the last piece they said was, this is not this, being police shooting a black man again is not going to stop our momentum. Certainly, like, that's not the message that we send when we have, I wrote today, these two Memphises that exist. And it's very clear. And we have this great 
wealth segregation. We have this residential segregation. We have all of these challenges uh, of our people not all seeing this so-called momentum that we have to to think about how we pull things together and how we recognize that there are challenges we aren't addressing as a community right now. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to to the topic that that brings you to the podcast today. You are with Stand for Children, a nonprofit involved in education issues. And at the People's Convention, you you renewed a call that we've heard from many people, and that is for city government to get back in the business of funding education, directly funding Shelby County Schools, just as it did Memphis City Schools before the merger and demerger of education. Um, why should that be a priority? So I think that one, I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to be funding Shelby County Schools directly as it did with Memphis City Schools. There are some different ways to do it. And if we go back and remember, even when we were going through the charter surrender process, the, the current city mayor, Strickland, who was councilman at the time, and the current mayor at that time, A.C. Warden, and several other councilmen all said, even when they took the money away from schools, said, our goal is not to stop funding education. It's to, one, stop the double taxation, and two, uh, not be mandated to pay, but to pay into a fund that we can support, where we can hold the schools accountable and make sure that they're using the money well. Many of them said that. And then when the mandate went away with the merger of the school system, nobody heard from that again. Mayor Warden even put together, if you'll remember, I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. put together a whole committee that yep. went through a whole three to six month type process saying, well, now we have this money available in the budget that we used to spend on education. How should we spend it? And I think they came up with pre-K, if I remember correctly. Um, but then that went away in the next budget cycle as they were trying to fill the hole that they had created by, you know, making the mistake of pulling the money away in the first place. So I think that uh, that as we move forward, recognizing that as the history, that there is the many there are many possibilities in being able to support not just education, but our youth. And again, thinking about this holistic way that we can do it. We have uh, just the summer jobs program, Employ. Uh, they now are up to about 1,700 summer job opportunities, but they've said 10,000 young people applied. So if we expanded that, not to mention their year-round MAP program that could be expanded, uh, and we think about the very specific things that we could do, whether it's the $500 million in deferred maintenance that our schools see and the, the city in their um, – their settlement with the school district, actually part of it was maintenance on some of the buildings that are in the city mm-hmm. that the city used to own and help to build. Uh, and then the other part is actually specific uh, pieces that they could be doing around, whether it's early literacy, a high school success, a career, college and career uh, preparation. So there are several things they could do. And the reason that they should be doing these things is because education matters. Everybody says it. All the mayors you know, have said it over years. Uh, Nobody's ever said they're against education. Nobody. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. one of the top three when you're polling, you know, what people mm-hmm. care about. Uh, it's just a matter of when you say it, do you really mean it to the point that you're accountable for it and you actually have to prioritize it in your budget, which is how we set our priorities in government. Uh, and if we care about the future of our community, we have to care about the education of our young people and what happens to them and their families around them as we think about wraparound services. Mm-hmm. As the as the city moved to first cut the funding to Memphis City Schools and, and then to the referendum we had in March of 2011 on the charter surrender itself, uh, a majority of the city council members uh, expressed the sentiment that they wanted to do this also partially to get out from under the state law requiring maintenance of effort funding. And and basically, and in general, I won't get 
technical about it, but but the basic principle is that when a local government funds public education at a certain level, it cannot drop that level of funding without a really good excuse, like a verifiable drop right. in, in attendance mm-hmm. for it. So, so would you envision city funding for public education triggering that maintenance of effort requirement again? Not necessarily. And that's, you're, you're right, that's the excuse a lot of folks, you know, uh, city folks bring up um, around this. But there are ways to do it. We've just done it with pre-K. We've given a, a portion of money to now pre-K-12 education to pre-K to support additional pre-K classrooms. And that is going to a third party uh, fiscal agent who will then divvy out those funds as they as they see fit and the and around the accountability metrics that they set. Uh, we could do similar things in other areas. There are several education foundations um, around the city. The the uh, Shelby County, before they went into this current pre-K, uh, gave money for pre-K uh, and put it in the Shelby County Education Foundation. And that provided a match to the national funds that were coming in for pre-K. So there are several ways that you could do it that I don't think would trigger the maintenance of effort. There are also places where you can say we're doing a one-year expense. And state law allows you to do a one-year expense as long as it's non-reoccurring and not it not be a part of maintenance of effort. So if we were looking for solutions, we could find solutions to not mm-hmm. impact maintenance of effort. Right, right. And Shelby County Schools, of course, in its current configuration, is all of the public schools in Memphis. It's also the public schools in unincorporated Shelby County. So is there a line that you can draw with city funding that would say it's just Memphis schools or would it have to be for all of the schools in, in Shelby County? Oh, certainly schools? I think that you can draw a line. So we remember, again, we can point back to pre-K where we had a, a federal grant and some local resources that were going towards pre-K, but the parameters around how the funding went out meant that it it, it was needs-based. So it basically could fund pre-K classrooms in Shelby County schools, Bartlett and Millington, because that's where the needs are, where you saw uh, more underserved communities and schools. And so you could certainly set parameters around it. I think that that's appropriate, that it would say funding from Memphis that's going towards educational youth is for young people who are in, in Memphis. And you could do that, again, through putting it through the, a third party funding agent or uh, fiscal agent, and mm-hmm. then having the parameters of those grants or supports that are going out be Schools have to, schools or districts have to be in Memphis, mm-hmm. and they have to have these other parameters because we want to impact this set of students. So much of the much of the emphasis uh, during Dorsey Hobson's tenure as superintendent of Shelby County Schools uh, w- was on building up the literacy effort, mm-hmm. and and not not just in pre K, moving through through the third grade. Yep. Is that the top priority? Is that kind of the next priority beyond pre-K once once it gets worked out in terms of the funding? I think so. That's certainly what we, we feel like at stand for children, even nationally. Part of our focus has been around early literacy. And so the work that we've been doing, uh, both working, starting a conversation with Shelby County Schools and nationally, we've been working with early literacy experts that we think the next logical piece is, because that's always the challenge that people bring up around pre-K, is that they lose that. And they don't necessarily lose it. It's just whether you continue on the learning at the level and quality that you started with. Because you, you could, you know, a child could be transitioning to a different 
K through 12 school or, or elementary school out of pre-K. Yep. And what and what some of the, the administrators at our school systems and the principals have, have admitted is that they used to put their weakest teachers in K through 2 because those were the untested grades. And so the places where we needed to build up the most skills, we were putting teachers who they knew were not as strong teachers because it was areas where the, the students wouldn't be tested. Not thinking, OK, well, let's set up the strongest foundation and then when they get to the tested grades they'll they'll do better you know that would be the hope so we certainly think early literacy again you know also high school success is another kind of rounding out the end of it so a lot of the work that we've done has been around developing freshman success uh, with with certain high schools here um, and how that connects to the future opportunities for young people with college and career uh, opportunities and transitions. Mm-hmm. So what what is a good number? What's a, what's a good dollar figure, do you think, to, to start out with reintroducing city government, so to speak, to, <laughs> to public education? You know, a, about two years ago, we asked uh, the city to put $10 million aside for uh, funding in education and youth, and we were told... Clearly, no, that wasn't a part of the budget. Um, we know that at the height of funding to education from the city, it reached almost $100 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about, it was over uh, 10% of the budget at that time, the city budget at that time. And we also know now, even if we go through the next two or three years where the pre-K dollars ramp up, it's only meant to get to $6 million, uh, the amount that's going towards um towards summer jobs and and programs like that is about three or four million dollars. So, you know, you maybe get to 10 million dollars, which now is less than 10 percent of the budget, a lot less, less, almost, I mean, just almost maybe one percent of the budget. So I think that, I mean, to me, of course, I'm an education advocate. I would say 10 percent of the of the city budget focused on, you know, youth and education is closer to the right amount. Uh, when we think about how much we're putting into on the other side of the spectrum to police and fire and public safety. And that's really the only place where we've seen the budget increase in large order and maybe potholes over the last, you know, five to six years. So I think, you know, starting off at, at 10 million and moving up to, to thinking about it being 10 percent of the budget is, is certainly appropriate. I have to tell you that the council members that, that, that I talked to during not this most recent budget season, but the budget season before that, some of them took the position that we do fund education through through various programs and even and even went to the trouble of adding it up and I forget what the total was, but 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 their larger point is that we're really not totally out of the education business because we do fund programs that indirectly affect the education process. Yeah. So we talk about the basics of government. And I mm-hmm. think that if something's been around for the 40 years that, that I've been alive and when I was a kid in Memphis. So if you're saying public pools and the children's department at the library, which is what they were adding up or access to books gallery, they threw all kinds of things into that number, which was about they came up with a number that was about 30 million dollars. It was in response to billboards we put up. And I think the push that we were making around getting into funding for education and youth. Um, so you can certainly say that, but then we think, oh, well, okay, let's add in libraries for workforce development because people go to look for jobs at, at libraries. So we could, we could manufacture things that we're making investments in in all kinds of ways. And certainly there's, there's some truth to that adds on to our community. But what do we think of as the basics of what a city provides? 
libraries, so children's departments and libraries, public pools, community centers, these are all public assets that we should be staffing and supporting. And they support our youth, they support our seniors, they support our families. But what specifically are we putting into investments? And even going back to what the council and the mayor said when they get when they were getting out of funding or saying they were getting out of funding directly or the mandate for funding education was saying, well, we want to invest in things that we know work, that we can hold the school system accountable for. How do we decide what's our priorities? What are the things we care about? If it's early literacy, kids should be reading on grade level by the third grade. Then what's the number that we're shooting for? What's the number of students in Memphis and how do we impact that? That's how I think we measure investments and, and really say this is an investment targeted towards this goal that we know will impact our young people and therefore impact the future of Memphis. Is city funding uh, under those terms where the city says this is what we want the money used for and we're going to put in wording to, to make that possible, is that an end run around the line item control that the elected school board has in terms of its funding. In, in other words, under the old setup, they came to the, the they came to City Hall, the school system did every budget season, and said, this is the total amount of funding we need. This is the amount of city funding. Here's our budget. You can review it. But the city council, nor the county commission, as it currently stands, could exercise line item control over what that sum of money was spent for. So is the school board going to react to this as an end run? You know, I think that because it's funding that's not that's not coming in currently and hopefully if you're thinking about it from a community perspective, you want it to be things that are aligned with where the school system is going anyway. So it's years ago. You'll probably remember, I think Wanda Halbert brought to the city council uh, her proposal. They paid for some a set of textbooks mm-hmm. for the school system. And that was one of the ways, OK, we're making this direct investment and that's what we're supporting. So it's the same thing that hopefully you would say the school system has its own third grade commitment that it's making around literacy. So you could certainly say early literacy is, is important to the school system and it's important to us all. And if you then say, OK, let's go talk to some experts. Let's talk, we'll talk to a few people that we can pull in to say, here's how we think we should target this working with the school system. Then I don't think it's necessarily making an in run around what the administration wants. I think there's a way to do it in a coordinated way so that you are you are holding them accountable for a specific investment that you're making for a specific outcome. I've even talked to folks on the county side about doing something similar because, you know, uh, Commissioner Whaley and Mayor Harris have both talked about the need for greater accountability and wanting to kind of control where targeted investments are being made. So I think that across the board, there's ways to better coordinate and target, you know, based on the perspectives and hopefully everybody coming around the table and saying what's best for our young people in the city. Let's go back to pre-K for a second, because it it sounds like a, a a relatively simple proposition. And and Omar Yusuf, who, who is our county government reporter, will be in a bit later to, to talk about where that's at on the county side. It's a little more complicated yeah. than that because it's still being worked out the exact terms of this. It, is that kind of instructive as to what may be ahead if there is additional funding? Are, are the mechanics going to be pretty complex on this, even if the goal is pretty simple? I think it's possible. I mean, any time that we want to get to an, uh, a clear ask, an outcome that we want to expect and be clear about what our expectations are for the amount that we're investing and what we're getting on the back end in terms of outcomes, I think there's going to be some complication that comes to the table in that. Um, is that a reason not to do it? 
No, I don't think so. I think that what this process with pre-K is showing is that it's a reason that we that we can do it, that we can power through, that we can come to an end result. And, you know, right now, a lot of it is just around this gap that we have with what should be a good problem to have. We have 300 additional classrooms than we thought we would have. And now we're trying to find a way to fund it. And, you know, I think that it's unfortunate that all of the onus is being placed. We have as a community a, a, a gap in pre-K funding and saving 300 seats. And the county is being asked and probably will be the one expected to come up with that. And we're not addressing it to the city because most people know it's a lost cause at the city for thinking that they'll invest more than the pittance that they're given now to, to education and supporting what's a community-wide effort. So let's get overtly political here. Should should that proposition be a basis for judging candidates for mayor and for the city council in the October city elections? Clearly, I think so. I mean, I think that <laughs> education and youth, we also, again, if we all say it's a priority, it has to be something that we don't just say is a priority, but that we all, and, and then and then expect it just being on the school board to figure it out and come up with the investments and support that we need. So as a community, we have to identify what is the role that each of our government structures is playing in supporting our youth and our educate and education and the families that surround those young people. So if everybody has a clear role to play in that, then we're moving forward as a community. If everybody says education is important and, oh, yeah, go talk to those folks over at the school board about how to solve the problems and education is bad or it's stopping people from coming here or businesses from moving here or growth or all of these other things that we are citing as challenges based on our education system, then we should all be clearly clear-eyed and, and clear in our uh, prioritization of it and willingness to invest in it um, from from our governments. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I bring that up is, is because the, the city council has approved the city's budget for the fiscal year that starts July 1st. So this is this is really a discussion about the next budget season, the next fiscal year. Right. Yeah. So it, it really is. I mean, and as unfortunate as I might think the, the budget process on the city side is in terms of its transparency or actual like back and forth around what our investments are and it just not being as public as I think it has been on the county side for years, uh, or at least the last few years before, you know, more council members wanted to run for mayor. And so we had more budget proposals coming mm-hmm. against the mayor's proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we go back, we, we, we clearly are looking, you know, the city budget has been approved. They could always make amendments. So I wouldn't say that, you know, that has happened before they could, if they wanted to say, Hey, there's a $2.5 million gap in the pre-K and we're going to come in and find half a million dollars or a million dollars. I'm sure there's nobody that would stop them from doing that. And it certainly happened before with the city finding money to do all kinds of projects in the middle of budget years. But I think we all would agree that that's not likely. And so, yeah, we are talking about the next budget, um, which will come under a new mayor. But if we get to or a ma- or, or potentially a new mayor, whoever wins whoever the election the is, in right. October, we'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. But come December or January, when they get better revenue figures, better revenue projections, you're you're right. There are talks usually at that halfway point uh, about making some changes in it. So are are you are you looking forward to that or, or do you if it presents itself, is it something you'll you'll explore at that time. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that we are continually pushing towards. How do we make it clear 
uh, that that people care about education. They want to see it prioritized and they want to see investments made into into it. You know, one of the things I heard from a council member recently, a city council member recently, was that uh, they get 50 uh, emails about a zoning change request and they get zero about children and, and child poverty. And so uh, our goal over the next year will be to change that communication to them so it's clearer to them that people care about it and uh, and at least they will hear the voices of, of the people uh, that we talk to and that we know care about it. And, and, and certainly if we can find some champions on the city council who support education and young people uh, to find dollars in the budget as they, as they reassess it throughout the year. Thank you very much. Cardell Oren is Memphis director of Stand for Children. I'm Omar Youssef, county government reporter for the Daily Memphian. The Shelby County Commission showed strong support for decriminalizing small amounts of marijuana at its June 10th meeting. The commission voted 7-0 in favor of a resolution requesting the state change its law to allow counties and municipalities power to decriminalize low-level marijuana offenses for first-time offenders. The request would not make it legal, but first-time offenders who possess a half ounce of marijuana or less would avoid arrest. Such offenses would be treated like a minor traffic violation, according to the resolution. Commissioners Mikel Lowry and Tammy Sawyer pushed for the resolution, saying they believe criminalizing low-level marijuana offenses has strongly contributed to Shelby County's jail population of more than 2,300. Commissioners Amber Mills, Mick Wright, and Michael Whaley abstained during the vote, all of whom said they wanted more time to study the issue before voting yes or no. In other business, the county commission delayed a vote on $2.5 million in additional pre-K funding. Many commissioners wanted to wait until the contract was agreed with pre-K fiscal agent First Aid before proceeding with additional funds. The county commission will revisit the issue at its June 19th committee meeting. So I have some bittersweet news to announce. This will be my last episode as a regular contributor. I will be leaving the county government beat this week and will start covering Raleigh, Fraser, Binghamton, and North Memphis starting next month after a much-needed vacation. I've enjoyed working with our host, Bill Drees, and our fantastic producer, Natalie Van Gundy, over these past few months. I have no doubt that our podcast will continue to get better over time, and I also hope you'll continue to follow my work at DailyMemphian.com. For the last time... For the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast, I'm Omar Youssef. We are a bit out of our usual running order this week because of the extraordinary events in Frazier, and those events continue to unfold even beyond this recording. You can find the ongoing story of those events at dailymemphian.com. Behind the headlines on WKNO Channel 10 is a reporter's roundtable. We will have several topics leading with a broader discussion of the violence in Frazier. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian, at DM, and at Omer A. Yusuf. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.